Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Masson, Ohio, and our goal is to let everyone know that God can give them new life. So whether you are local to our area or you are just tuning in for some encouragement today, I pray that this episode will bless and propel you forward to live that life that God has called you to live. have your Bibles, and we'll delve into this this morning. Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark, chapter number 11. We're going to be reading two verses of Scripture there. Mark, chapter 11. Starting with verse number 12. Mark chapter 11. Amen. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now, on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find another thing thereon. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard of it. Nothing worse than being hungry for something, going to the cabinet to pull it out. Somebody else had ate all of it and didn't replace it or tell anybody. I already have the jelly on the bread, no peanut butter in the house. Jesus went to the tree expecting to find something. There was nothing there. So tonight I want to talk to us about what God judges us on. God judges a church uh, that's barren. So God judges a barren church. Amen? Amen? Lord, help us tonight. Help us, Lord God, to learn. Help us, Lord God, to absorb. Help us, Lord God, to take what you have given us and go forth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Do you love the Lord? Go ahead and give God some praise. That's all right. Amen. God is good. You may be seated. Amen. God is good. The story of Jesus cursing the fig tree can be found also in uh, the book of Matthew. He writes about this. Uh, the fig tree is a uh, fruit-producing plant. We call it a fig tree, but it can also be a tall tree, or it could also be a low-spreading type of shrub. The size of the tree depends upon where its location is and the type of soil that it has found itself planted in. And the fruit of the tree is one of the favorite kinds of food that you'll find in the Middle East. It's a delicacy there. And they, they take the fig and they dry it out, and uh, it is considerable uh, food there. They, they consume it quite a bit. And it is also, in some, an article of commerce. The failure of the fig tree uh, that we see here is a national calamity. Their productiveness was a token of peace and divine favor. And the 
blooms of the fig tree also appear before the leaves in the spring. When Jesus saw the leaves on a fig tree, he expected fruit. There were usually in a fig tree two crops of figs a year. Now let me just put this in, in, in understanding that us in Stark County, Ohio, would understand. If you see a building the shape of an ice cream cone, a little twisty on the top, and you pull up there and they don't have ice cream, that's not good. If you pull into a McDonald's and wanting a shamrock shake and the ice cream machine is still broken from 30 years ago, you got issues. Now Jesus pulls up, he's hungry. He's wanting some sustenance. And he sees the twisty tree of the Middle East, the fig tree. And he comes to the tree and sees the, the leaves there, which should have produced fruit, but it was barren. The leaves would tell anybody that was used to fig trees that because you see leaves, you should see fruit. The promise of the leaves showed from a distance that there was fruit there. But when he got to the tree, the leaves were there, but the fulfilled promise of the fruit was nowhere to be found. In reality, the reason he cursed the fruit tree is because it was a hypocrite. You showed all the signs of fruit, but you don't produce nothing. You have all the appearance of being one that produces fruit, but you don't have any. And when the young leaves are, are nearly appearing on a fig tree in April, uh, every fig tree which is going to bear fruit at all will have some what they call immature figs upon it. Even though the time of figs was not yet, the immature figs uh, is not eaten, uh, not only eaten today, but it's sure evidence, even if it falls, that the tree is not barren. Even young immature figs, not fully developed, not fully there, just the young ones, still was something that would prove that the tree was not barren. It still was producing some type of fruit. There are some things that we find in the Word of God that we must come to the realization of. God's attitude is for his church to grow. God expects his church to grow. Many churches appear to be growing, but they're not. It's hypocritical. God judges his church for non-growth. God rewards the church for growth. There is never any reward that God blesses us, the church, with for what I like to call holding our own. Holding our own, what is that? People will ask, how's the church? And the answer sometimes could be like this. Well, we're hanging in there. We're holding on. 
We're keeping the Ford. But where is the reward for that type of attitude? Nowhere in the scriptures does God tell us just to hold on. Nowhere in the scriptures does God say, hold your own. We need to realize that God will judge a non-growth church. Mark 11, Jesus was coming from Bethany and wanted some fruit and there was no fruit to be found on that tree. This is, this is the only miracle of destruction in the life of Jesus that, that we could find in the scriptures. The tree withered away at the word of God. It's a miracle of destruction. The fig tree had all the appearance of being able to satisfy his hunger, but the miracle of destruction was shown simply because the tree would not grow. Now, every other miracle you find that God ever does in Scripture is one that brings life. But something he couldn't stand was when one of his creations that was made to produce did not. We are God's church. Amen? God's church was produced to produce fruit. We are the production. We are the produce. We are what was born of the church. And when that church stops its mandate and stops its declaration and stops its purpose and decides, let's just hold on. Let's just stay status quo. Let's not do anything that could change anything because we got a good thing going. We become a hypocritical church for the church was birthed to grow. Many churches have had outward signs of being religious. They have the religiosity and the Episcopal Issues of church down pat. They know the rules, the regulations. They know how to, to go for the formats and they know how to, to, to do this and to do that and they all look at, but spiritually, they're unfruitful. They know exactly how to, where the, where the, the, uh, the outward appearance of church not talking about holiness I'm talking about how they do things and, and how they preach and how they sing and what they sing and, and the order of how things should go but spiritually they're unfruitful church that does not produce any baptisms or filled with the Holy Ghost or Bible studies or new converts and new families but yet they look spiritual on the outside that church is barren growth is not well, we're going to go talk to some friends of ours at the church down the street and convince them the best thing that they could do for them and their family is to come here. That's not growth. Growth is when a church is spiritually active, prayerful, fasting, reading the scriptures, living what they read and pray on a daily basis. That is what the church should be 
we can be alive and seem alive and seem like it, but we have all the leaves, but the fruit is not there. It should not be uncommon for a church that is growing and alive to see miracles, have signs, wonders. That's why I like it when, when we pray this prayer to offering. And I like it when people call up and say, Pastor, you would not believe what God did this time. I love that. I love it when, when they say, uh, I want you to know I got my report back from my tests and everything is okay. Those are signs, wonders, and miracles. And if a church is alive, it's producing fruit. Let me stop. Because I, I do feel like the church ought to know some things. This year, we're in August, and it's, we're winding down, and, and it's starting to, to go towards uh, the, the year being up. We're just around the corner from uh, the turkey and just around the corner from the Christmas you know, season. And I want, I want to tell you, what you don't know is the miracles that we have seen in this church body just this year. Y'all don't know. We have seen multiple miraculous things take place. I'm not talking about just the body being healed. We have. I'm talking about doctors, this is what it is. There's no question. We go back in for tests. I don't know what to tell you. What we saw then and what we see now, it's not there. I can tell you what it was, Doc. It was God. Hearing miracles, just like we heard just last week, that it's only because a miracle from God that this is taking place in your life. We have seen prodigals come back that we would have never thought would be back. They themselves thought that there was no chance for them ever coming back to God, and yet they're here. Folks, that's miraculous. Things that have not been made public to you yet because of what people have asked not to be. But I'm here to tell you what I have seen this year is not what I have seen in years past. Miraculous things taking place. Wonderful testimonies that we could give. But what God has done this year and what Brother Austin has talked to us about in prayer on Saturday mornings, this is a year of miracles. That was not just words. We have seen the miracles take place. And the great thing is, is I believe today more than I did just on Sunday that God's not through yet. And I, I believe that this year is not up yet, correct? I think we did say it was in August was it the 3rd today, I believe. And God's not done with us yet. And this is still things that are taking place and miracles that are going to take place. Matter of fact, let's just go ahead and do it right now. And let's just say it. I rebuke the fear of the enemy that would come into somebody's mind and life tonight feeling like there's no hope, there's no way, there's no chance. It's only going to be because God has already spoken. Miracles are not done. Miracles are not over because this church is still praying. And we're still believing. We cannot be the church that seems alive. And yet we're dying. We can't be the church that the doors are open, but yet nothing's being produced. Either God will be exalted and worshiped, or there'll be an inspector 
that will come to us and say, where is the fruit? We can sing elaborate songs and practice and have great musicians, which we do, and have great harmony and great songs and all of that, but if it doesn't produce prayer meetings, we can call them and have them, and Saturday mornings are wonderful, and I love them, but if they don't produce fruit, if we as the body don't have the mindset that we are not satisfied until everybody is saved. Pastor, that's a lot of folks in our county. If you don't reach for the stars, you'll never reach the moon. Think about that for just a second. The moon's an achievement. Well, we're not going to reach everybody in Stark County. You don't know that. Well, it got quiet here. See? The problem we have in the modern church is we have a lack of dreamers. We have prognostic people that don't want to dream and they want to be realistic and say there's just no way possible for this and this and this to happen. And I'm here to tell you today, stop it. You reach for the stars. If you make it to the moon, you've done something that only a few people have done. You don't stop simply because you failed. The fruit must be produced in a church that's alive. This fruit must be interpreted as people. He doesn't want us to... to be a church with leaves fluttering in the wind, busy, busy, looking good. Some maintenance type of ministry. We're just trying to do what we can. Pastor, just, just marry and bury. That's all we're asking you to do. That's not what he said. Jesus said in Luke, in another story about a fig tree where the landlord came in and said, this tree hasn't produced any fruit in a long time. Why let it exist? Cut it down. I don't want to be part of a church that says we are just going to minister and marry, bury, and then let's go. That's why we are getting up, preaching, talking, exhorting, praying, believing that we don't come satisfied with where we're at now. But we want to go forth and produce fruit. That's why we pray for our prodigals. That's why we pray for our unsaved family. That's why we reach out to them, live our Christian life in front of them, whether we're at work or whether we're in the neighborhood, whether we're at the grocery store or the restaurant, whether we're at, we're at soccer practice with the kids, no matter where we're at, we must show Christian behavior because Christian behavior produces fruit. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a part of a sour church. Well, you are quiet tonight. I'm going to chalk it up to conviction. Not it makes me feel bad. Anybody in here believe this tonight? We serve a merciful God. How many would believe that he could be at our church today and say, why, why are you all allowing this to exist? It's not producing. I'm not calling us, I'm just saying. 
Please wait. Don't cut it down. Give us another chance. I don't want God to ever show up at new life and for him to say, what are you producing? We can praise, we can worship, we can shout, we can get excited, we can fellowship like no other. But where must ask ourselves constantly is the fruit. Well, pastor, what are you doing? I'm doing the same as you. It's not the job of the shepherd alone to produce. The shepherd and the flock must be fruitful. I don't put it all up on you. You can't put it all up on me. We are in this together because we are new life. We are. It's not my church. It's not your people. It's not your church house. It's our church. And we've got to be mindful all the time. Are we producing fruit? And leadership, and our times when we schedule and we do events and we get together, the thing that we always stress is, will this produce fruit? If it doesn't bring us a place where we have an opportunity to make a difference in the community around us, then why put the effort in? We need to have the mindset, be the type of people that are tired of maintenance ministry. Don't preach messages like that to us, Pastor. Don't talk about that kind of stuff. Don't rile us up. Don't get us, you know, that kind of, just come in and just make us all feel good. And, you know, maybe watch a little Joe Olstein a little bit, preacher. And maybe, you know, smile a little bit more. And just talk about how blessed you are. Don't get us riled up. Just, just maintain what we got going. Man, chill. We need church folks that are willing to dig. To dig. Nobody likes to dig ditches. You ask a plumber what the worst job is, and it's not what you think it would be. It's when he has to dig. Dig in the dirt that's unforgiving. The dirt doesn't want to just give itself up. That's why you're going to put your foot down on a shovel. That's why you've got to pry it up sometimes. Sometimes the shovel's not enough. You have to get a pickaxe or, or a, a, big, a big rod to get down there and to pull up the rocks and different things. It doesn't want to just come just, you know, on its own. The dirt's not saying that laying there on its back going, hey, here I am, dig me up. It takes effort. It takes effort. And we need people that in the church that'll say, and I don't just mean people, I mean all of us, that'll say, uh, maintaining is not enough for me. I, I get, let, me, let, me have my, let me have my shovel. Let me have my rake. Let me dig. For you can't produce anything unless you dig. You can't just get seeds and just, you know, lay them on concrete and say, Grow. You can't just take seeds and throw them on the ground and say, grow. I got this bright idea in, in my ignorance that I was going to go hunting in, in, in this little place in, in the woods where we were at. I was going to get this stuff called throw and grow. And didn't read the instructions. Just All I saw on it was just throw it down and it'll grow. And my dad goes, Keith, that ain't going to do nothing. Dad, don't tell me what to do. 
because I heard the man say, throw it and it'll grow. So I pay $12.99 for this little bag of stuff and go out there and I'm like, I'm going to get the big bucket. I want to get the big bucket. I'm throwing that stuff out there and I'm watching and I'm watching. Not a single thing grew. Then when you read the instructions, make sure you rake the ground up real, real good. Pull the weeds. Get the rocks out. Have good soil. Nobody wants to do all that. I want to throw and grow. Who's got time to work when I want to hunt? We don't, you know, we got people in church that say, hey, I, I want to just come and sit on a pew and just maintain me. When it's my time to go home, preach me a good funeral. But don't ask me to do nothing else. I just want to have all the benefits with none of the work. Life ain't like that either. Man, it don't work. Don't eat. For us to have fruit produced in a church, we've got to have time to work and have people that are willing to do the work. And may I say, we need to have preaching that convicts us to do work. If not, then we, we just become a maintenance church and we just, you know, we'll just be here and just preach you a good funeral and just wait till the last one dies and then everything goes under. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to be about our daddy's business. And daddy's business should be good because statistics tell us that 10% of our community goes to church faithfully. 10%. That means 90% of our community is unchurched. Now, if everybody that said they were a member of New Life Tabernacle would ever show up on one Sunday, I'd faint. People don't know a pastor, and they'll be like, where do you go to church? I go to church at New Life Tabernacle over in Mass on 12th. Oh, I know that church. I've been going there for a long time with my grandmama. She's been there for 30 years. I know, but that's when I go to church. That's where I go. I ain't been there for 30 years, but that's my church. <laughs> You're laughing because you all know people just the same way. They ain't darkened the house of the church here for, for years, but this is still their church, and I'm thankful for that. 90%. So basically, you can close your eyes and point to somebody in the grocery store and they don't faithfully go to church every week. The fields are white. And they're ready. The difference is that we have to put the work in. What does God say? God says he brings the growth. But we've got to put in the work. We, got, we have to do the things that's necessary for their for God to bring the growth. But if we're not willing to do the work, digging and fertilizing, then, then what do we expect God to do? It would be easy to say stuff like, well, Lord, this is your church, and, 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 and be done with it. I'll just sit down here and have faith and, and uh, put up my hands and lightly close my eyes and tilt my head just slightly up towards heaven and just say, God, build your church. Looking out the other eye, waiting for the people just to walk in the door. But our attitude cannot be that. 
That is an attitude of failure. God wants his church to grow, but he told us to go out and dig. When you dig, you find things. Little neighbor boy has a little one of those little things that you, uh, metal detectors. And he's just, you know, nine years old, he's just bound and determined to find gold in the backyard. I'm just praying that if he finds it, it's over the property line on my side. <laughs> At least some of it. But you can't find it if you're not looking. You can't find lost souls if you're not willing to go out and, and live your life and testify and look for it. We have to dig. We might have to dig through a lot of no's and a lot of rejections and a lot of bad attitudes, but you continue to dig and you continue to look and you continue to, to seek and you do what you have to do and what you need to do to have an opportunity to win somebody. But if you're not playing the game, you're not winning. Our attitude should be, let me dig around. Let, let me see if I can produce some fruit. We've got to work. We've got to. We have to. Because the alternative of us not teaching Bible studies and not reaching people and not carrying this wonderful gospel outside of these walls is not good. The alternative to growing is dying. The alternative to, to producing fruit is being cut off. Newsflash. People are lost. They're dying. And they're going to a sinner's hell. The only thing that stands between burning and darkness, torment forever, is a church that's willing to do something about it. We as a church have to except our part of the responsibility. Jesus gives the increase, but we have to accept our part of the responsibility for carrying the message of Christ to the people outside of our four walls. We are the church. We are the church. We must Reach. I made it a point that when I find somebody, a friend, or make an acquaintance, or they find out that I'm a minister, that I invite them to church. And I walk away before they can give me an answer. Hey, I'd love for you to be at church with us. Church starts at 11 o'clock on Sundays. You can come for 10 o'clock for kids' church if you want to bring your kids, but, you know, family service starts at 11. You ought to come and be a part of that. You know, we can come see us sometime. I'll be there this Sunday. Okay, have a great day. Well, aren't you going to find out if they're going to come or not? I've made the invitation. And then it gets to the point where you invite so many times. If you don't invite, they get offended. I've been told, what, you don't love me no more? You don't care for me no more. You just want me to you just want me to go to hell. Have you seen fruit from that yet? I have. You pester somebody long enough, they'll come. And nobody even caught that. You didn't laugh or nothing. But it's true. You pester somebody long enough, they'll give it a shot. Sometimes all it takes is one service one well 
maybe they don't care for me no more. Maybe they don't love me. I just tell them like this. If I didn't care and love, I wouldn't invite you, knowing you're going to tell me no. But the moment that I stop asking, you're going to say, why don't you love me no more? I care for you enough, even in the midst of rejection, to ask, to invite, to compel. The problem is, is we see ourselves as the church. And that's, that's a problem, and it's not a problem. The problem is that is, is we take the four walls of this building with us when we leave. And we keep the four walls of this church as our bubble. And understanding is that the revival that we need and desire and is biblical is not found in the four walls. And when you leave this place, you take the message with you, but leave the walls here. And when you step out of this place and you pull out of the driveway and you either go you know, one way on 12th Street, one way on 12th Street, or you go north, uh, south on Genoa, uh, you, know, you have stepped out of the four walls and now you are in the field. As Bishop has preached so mightily in the past, there's a treasure that's found in the field. But you can't find it if you're not willing to plow. And you can't find it if you're not willing to dig. You can't find it if you're not willing to work. We've got to go into the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're going to win sinners from the grip of hell. You see, hell is making plans for you to be lazy and fail. The blueprints right now are being drawn up for distractions that you have from doing what we should be doing once that we are saved. They're making blueprints. They're making plans. They're getting in their planning sessions and saying, we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we've got to expand here and we've got to move this place here, move that torture pit and, and move this place and move the, and expand because they're expanding their walls to grow with people that they believe are never going to have a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we have to do is smash those dreams and aspirations. Telling somebody, don't have to be that way. That there is hope beyond this world. Not many sinners will be evangelized within the building of these four walls. Let me say that again, maybe a little bit more eloquent. There's not a lot of sinners that are going to be evangelized inside of these four walls. Because they're not knocking the door over to get in. But we rub shoulders with them every day. We see them. Every aspect of our lives. But if we don't get the, the first touch and the first thing that they'll feel in evangelism will be you. For you are the first line to change their life. It's time for the church to begin to build bridges. Bridges of outreach not walls of isolation. Bridges that reach out to people in our communities and in our counties to make a difference. This is not a place for a social club, for all of us just to get together and... and time out. My mind is odd and weird and works. I preface this by saying it works in weird ways. 
I asked the Lord one time, am I here because I don't have friends outside of here? Or maybe we're socially awkward and because we made connections with somebody that came here, we came here and now we're friends here because we really just don't have connections outside of here. Or we've, we've come to the church and we're really not into it, but we stay here because the friendships are safe. Am I that odd? Am I that different? Am I just that much on the pecking order of society that it's easier for me to make connections in church than it is outside, and so church has become comfortable for that? No. Your answer, I believe, every person in here, is you're here because of your love first and foremost for God. Take away all fellowship and you should still want to be here because of your love for God. Friends, they come, they go, they move, they stay, they, they pass away, whatever it might be. But the mainstay is that we want to be here producing fruit. I have a love for God, and because I have a love for God, I have a drawing and a pushing that pushes me to go out and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to preach it within the four walls, but again, we're not knocking down sinners in the four walls. It's a whole lot easier if all of us are digging instead of just one of us on a Sunday. Less than 50% of those that are born again, less than 50%, have ever led a soul to Christ. Hmm. 90%. You realize that 90% of unsaved people will never enter a church except for just a few things. They'll enter a church for a funeral, for a wedding, for Easter, or for Christmas. Some, even when they die, won't enter a church. This means that the gospel must be lived before them and taken to them as individuals. If we can't take the four walls to, you know, if we can't get them within the four walls, we'll take the church to them because we are the church. Evangelism was never intended to be carried on inside the church body here, building, I should say. God told us to go out. Pastor, I do leave my house and I do drive to the church. That's what I'm talking about. Evangelism was intended to be carried out outside of these four walls. This is a place we come to be lifted up. This is a place where we come to be convicted and be stirred up. This is a place that we come to have our faith lifted with people of like-mindedness. But the evangelism takes place out there. You get your, yourself right, you get your soul right, your mind right before you get here, that when you get here, nothing's hindering you from doing what you're supposed to be doing, and that's worshiping and praising God. And then when we leave here, we're fired up to go out there and to win people to the Lord. That's our responsibility. Listen, with things being said, we have on a Sunday, churches everywhere around here. Matter of fact, 
I have been in other places in the, in the south, uh, in the sticks of Louisiana, swamps. I mean, I mean, really, honestly, it was scary at times. I thought I heard banjo music when we were traveling through Louisiana, just coming from, we stopped to get something to eat we hadn't ate, Brother Steve and Brother Austin, my wife and I, and it was like from 5, 4.30, like that in the morning, and it was like 1.30 or 2, and we were arguing and fighting amongst one another. I thought for a minute there we were going to like, you know, who's going to come out of this and whoever comes out was, you know, going to cut somebody's foot off and eat it for, you know, it was hungry. It was bad. And we stopped in this little town, a buddy of mine's picking him up and we were following him and uh, go and uh, he said, we were like, man, we're, you know, can you get us something to eat? Well, we don't have nothing in this place to eat. Now, granted, they had three churches, two that you could see one another that ran about 800 to 900 people each. And then a church just a mile and a half down the road that ran about the same amount, if not a little more, sticks. And the only place that they had in the whole area to find something to eat was at a gas station. I still shed a tear about that. But I've seen places like that that have more churches than I've ever seen before. And we think we have a lot. It's nothing like that down there. And still there'll be people, still people that will regularly worship in beautiful sanctuaries in this county every week. Gorgeous sanctuaries, beautiful places with little or no concern for those that are dying in their own self. God has to constantly thrust the church forward. Constantly. Because in and of ourselves, all of us, self-included, we can become very lax in our desire to see the lost saved. If we are men and women who are honestly, truly filled with the Holy Ghost then we have no excuse to have a fervency to carry the gospel outside of the walls. If you don't have a fervency to carry the gospel outside of this place, then I want you to stop and ask, what is else is in my soul besides the Holy Ghost? The challenge of the church, and this is the reason why God is constantly pushing us forward, is to not to maintain the status. Not just to say, you know, listen, I'm, I'm happy with my group of friends and I'm, I'm happy and don't, don't bring stinky people in the church. And, man, them are odd folks. And, you know, but so were you when you first got here. And we prayed and you grew out of it, mostly. You got your times. Somebody's odd to somebody. You know what's odd to me? Anime. Not anime. I'm talking about the Japanese art, anime. Weird. I understand it. It's odd. 
people that, now I'm going to step on some toes tonight, but honestly, let me just preface by saying this. If you are in, into it, I'm sorry, but I'm pastor, and I'm going to give you my opinion that I feel spiritually. It's demonic stuff. People who get into it get very dark, very odd and very weird. And they usually smell really bad like cat pee. I'm just being straight up. <laughs> You're laughing because you all know it's true. We were at a youth function years ago when I was still in the youth. That tells you how long ago. And we shared a hotel with people called furries and anime. So we had people running, walk around like they were Dragon Ball Z and, and Comic-Con was you know, the beginnings of all that. That stuff is weird. Demons and witches and third eyes that shoot out lightning bolts. and I'm all about fantasy stuff, but that's a little bit out there. So what are we going to do when a whole group of people come walking through the church that are all into anime and they stink like cat pee? Are we going to tell them, no, this is not the church for you? soul matters because what's weird for one is normal for the other what's normal for one is weird for another now some of y'all that are here tonight have been raised around this for a long time and it's become your norm some of y'all that are still new around here please back me up on this you first came to church you thought this place was the weirdest place you ever walked into. Thank you. The women all dress alike. They get loud. Most people come from churches, they don't clap their hands or have music, and heaven forbid you ever say amen. Then they come to church and they say, wait a minute, this is not all Caucasian. We've got some people here that don't look just like us. And that preacher gets excited when he preaches. He doesn't just sit up there and just chant things. It's different. We're not to maintain status quo. But what's normal to one is weird to the other. But what was that engaged you to this congregation of people was the message that was preached, the message that was received, and the message that was lived. That's the difference. The difference with new life has to be those three things. The message that's preached. The message that's received. People don't want to go to a church that's just like their Episcopal church that they went to. They can go back to being Lutheran and Methodist and Baptist and whatever else it was when they come to church and they don't get engaged and they don't get excited and they act like they're just dead. That's why it's important that when the message that it's on point is being preached, that your responsibility is to react to the message being preached. Then we have to live what we agree to about what's being preached. Because they can go back to church with a whole bunch of other hypocrites. But they want to go because they're hungry and find a fig tree, find a church that doesn't just look good. It's also producing fruit. Because most people, when they're ready to make a change from what they've been raised in to something new, the reason they're doing that is because they are hungry for something more. 
what they've been raised on and what they've heard and what they received is not what they've been revealed in Scripture to them and not what they now see in Scripture and it's definitely not what they feel when they're in a church producing fruit. So the message must be preached and it must be preached the way the Bible says it to be preached. And the church must connect in their worship and reaction to the word of God that's being preached. And lastly, we all must live what we agreed with, what was preached. And when we do those three things and we work with what we've been given, we will produce fruit. I'm not saying that New Life is not doing that now. But every once in a while, we just need a boost to remind us while we're here. If you only come to church to get you know, what you need to make it the rest of the week, you, you, you're not grasping it. God did not bring you here just to get a jiffy oil lube of the Holy Ghost and you know, take out the bad and put in the good and let me get on my way. That's not what we're here for. We're here to get lifted up, to hear the word preached, to react to the word, and then to live with what we've, been, what we've heard and we've accepted. The church was born in a blaze of personal soul winning personal. It was a house-to-house, face-to-face operation. That's how the church was born. Now, back in my younger days, we used to knock on doors. That ain't too smart nowadays. Because times have changed. How you win somebody is just how Jesus won somebody. You become their friend. <laughs> Knock on my door today, 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and I might just lose my religion too. But the, the, the most successful way of producing fruit for a church is to, for you to befriend somebody. Invite them into your circle. Well, man, they're a little odd. Yeah, well, so are you. They're a little different. Guess what? You are too. Matter of fact, the definition itself of godly people is what? What did Paul say we are? Peculiar. <laughs> That's just a really nice, complimentative way of saying you're odd. You're weird. He didn't want to hurt your feelings. Matter of fact, down south, they would say, bless his heart. The model that God gave us for the church is simply this, very simple. There's one way. There's one job. The one way is Jesus. And the one job is winning the lost. That's what the gospel and the epistles can be broke down into. Two things. One way, one job. Don't be that one that says, yeah, I'm concerned for the lost. I'm praying for them. All the while, they're praying, many of them, even the ones they're praying for, they're, they're literally dying and going to hell while we're praying for them. Because saying you're praying for them and praying for them is two different things. Don't be a Christian with a lot of leaves on the stems. 
branches and a lot of leaves that's saying, well, I'll, I'll pray for them. Instead of praying for them, why don't we go to them? Go to where they are. Share the gospel. I, I can testify to you tonight. Sometimes just a simple message can make a whole difference in somebody's life. They've done me wrong. I still want to message them. They're messed up. Still, just a simple message makes a difference. We have to go to them where they are and share the gospel. We have to go to them where they are in their brokenness. So before I bring my last line and the music comes up, and I want to just say this very quickly, this little cool story, and then I'm going to end this. You never know, again, three things. We've got to preach the gospel, we've got to connect with the gospel, and we've got to live the gospel when we leave here, okay? Let me tell you how this works. It was a Sunday, as routine in our church family, as our family, uh, we've done this since I can remember, we used to go to uh, places on Sunday after church, childhood uh, memories of York Steakhouse, it was in Belden Village Mall. I miss York Steakhouse. You know why I miss it? Because KB's Toy Store was right across the hall. And Aladdin's Castle was right next door. And if I didn't get in trouble in Sunday school, I was allowed to go over and spend $3. I was real good in Sunday school sometimes. <laughs> Usually it fell right between when the new stuff came out and I got all of that and it was still the new stuff. It had, it, then it was Western Sizzlin', and then we went to the Old Brown Derby, and then we went to Flaming Pit, and we went to these places on Sunday, and we had a routine of where we went and what we did, and everywhere we went, I always see my parents, and my dad preached the message, heard the church receive it. And then I can say this, that I watched my parents live it, because there'd be many times that we would go out, and there was a very affluent man in our county knew my dad and loved him, respect him and would pay for our dinner always knew that because dad would say order dessert <laughs> but we made friends with people throughout the years because we, you know, dad practiced and taught us to hear the word, receive the word but live the word and so we tried to be those things wherever we went I'm sitting in El Campesinos, which became one of our places for a long time that we went on Sundays. And I, I talked to the manager, and uh, I, I act like I just know these guys for all their lives. And we joke and cut up and kid, and people must think that we're, I'm part Mexican or something. I have no idea, but um, they got waiters in there. They come up, and they show their muscles and say, Steelers, hey, talk about baseball or talk about their family. But I get a tap on my shoulder one day and say, can I talk to you? And I thought for sure one of y'all didn't pay your bill. That was there. Because the word came to me that, you know, I know who your church folks are. Our waiters and waitress all think that they're very kind and nice. We like you guys. Compliment. Can I talk to you afterwards? And the first thing in my mind is, what one of those knucklehead kids did not pay for their meal, dined and dashed? I'm stuck paying. I leave table and he pulls me over to the side and he 
least. And I listen, we have talked, we, as we're cashing out, talked when we come in, I get, you know, just, just being silly with them. And he goes, uh, you're still a pastor, right? I said, yeah. He goes, my girlfriend's coming in from Mexico. We're going to get married. Would you be so kind as to marry us? And my first thing is, you know, I don't know who you are. And then I remember when my dad took a fly on somebody one time and a couple by the name of Jim and Julie and married them, but he made them come to church service. I said, I tell you what, <laughs> I didn't know if she was legal, illegal. I had no clue. I said, I'll tell you what, you come to church with me twice and you let me do some Bible, one Bible study and some marriage counseling. Three different sessions, two church services. I said, it's free. If not, I charge $675. That's what I tell people. Sooner or later, somebody's going to say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want a Bible study. I don't want none of that stuff. Here's 675 bucks. I'm going to be like, let's go. <laughs> Still, nobody took me up on the offer. It was just a few weeks later that in my office when we were back here that Elias and Michelle walked into the office. Started a friendship. She didn't know anybody in the area. She didn't speak English very well. My wife knew just enough Spanish to communicate. They became very close friends. And before we knew it, her and, and, and Maria started coming to church all the time. She got baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. Kids got baptized. He got baptized. They're still in church today in Seattle. Because somebody preached the gospel, reacted to the gospel, and lived the gospel. And took the gospel outside. I'll still leave places like that. And when I walk out, I'll say, in Jesus' name, I'm winning that guy. My brother and my dad and I were in the casinos one time, and I'm trying to win the new manager. I'm trying to win him now to the Lord. He doesn't even know that he's already won. He has no clue. I've already got my teeth sunk in there. And he says, I, you know, he's the dad, right? I said, yeah, he's the father. And he said, this is his son, right? Talking to my, my brother Chad. He said, yeah. He said, so the father and the son. That's right. I'm the Holy Ghost. He still laughs about that all the time. He said, how's the Holy Ghost? doing fine another Sunday we're out to eat and Kara had laid her food her leftovers on top of their little pot machine that they had in the lobby somebody came by and we were getting ready to leave and we would have already left if it hadn't been for somebody didn't know it was up there or somebody else's uh, Kara went to reach into the cooler and all the food fell off right all the food fell off on to, all over her and so we were held up to leave we're cleaning up all this food and we're all embarrassed and all upset and everything uh, here walks out a friend I hadn't seen in a long 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 time I didn't even recognize her at first she recognized hey Keith Shelly wow there was a mother and son that was with them that were hungry they were looking for a church and, and we preached the message reacted to the message and we lived it and they're sitting on pews right here today simply because we like Mexican food <laughs> no it's because they were hungry and they saw something 
we got to go there. And what a blessing it is that they're here with us today. We love Jenny and Solomon so very much. How many more people do we come in contact with each and every day that are the same, that are hungry? That are hungry. Oh, I could tell some more stories tonight. What time is it? Y'all are going to sit here. You're going to be here. I'm going to talk to one another for the next 35 minutes. I'm okay. Five more minutes. Somebody come up because i got to be done. <laughs> I'm going to tell on you. He knows who I'm going to talk about. Hunter. Megan. Hunter came to the church. His family. Uh, big business in the area. Sewer and drain. We had a call that they called up. Hold a bomb. Said, I need somebody. Hunter comes out. Or Hunter's trying to do work at the church. And me and my, sometimes I can just not understand social cues, I guess. He's working and I'm over top of him talking. Just kept on talking. And Hunter's a very quiet kind of guy. And he's there and he's trying to fix this thing and it's bad. And he's trying to get away from this crazy guy and I just keep talking. But something clicked. And so we'd see each other out and about. Why do we always run into each other at the grocery store? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Just this week we ran into each other. Those aisles aren't that big. And, never mind. This kid need to go to daycare. Where are we going to go? Well, I know a place that I've worked at a few times and the the man there, the pastor there, was a, was a nice guy. I see him every once in a while, and we say hi and pass by. And long story short, they brought their, their daughter, and then she started working for us, all because somebody preached the gospel, reacted to the gospel, and lived the gospel. It's one thing to have leaves on the tree and look the part and have everything in pomp and circumstance just right all the toilets cleaned and all the banners out and, and all the meeting and greeting teams and all the good things. But if there's no fruit, people aren't going to think about us when it comes to a point in time when they need something in their life. Or when they meet you somewhere, something's not going to be different. They're like, something's, not, something's different about them. People are hungry. And they want to come to a church that's more than just fluff and circumstances. They want to come to a church that has something. That there's a message that's preached that's strong. And people that believe the message that's preached, whether it's weak or it's strong, they believe it. And then people that will actually live what they hear. God judges a church by the fruit that it bears. I don't want a miracle of destruction come upon this church and so what do we do on a Wednesday night you take time and, and you've been doing it for a lot of the Wednesday nights because of what we're coming into at the end of this year uh, we're going to be starting and, and we've been talking about it and I've got to gear people up the reason we've got to do this is because there's a whole lot more stories like these ones told tonight that need to be told people that will accept people of different ethnic backgrounds 
not judge them by the color of their skin or their intellectual. Not judge them if they're still smelling like Saturday night when they come to church on Sunday morning. Somebody asked me one time, Pastor, you know, you've been doing this for a few years now. Have you ever uh, had somebody in the church that, that came to church drunk? I said, once or a lot of times. A lot of times you go to shake somebody's hand who's new and we just took communion again, didn't we? <laughs> People that come in with their heads aren't straight. They're a mess. People that come in that might just be normal. But the bottom line is when all the facade is taken away, you rip all the, the, the facade of self out of the way and you get to the core, everybody's the same. Rich, poor, tall, short, big fellers, little fellers, drug addicts, alcoholics, good folks, bad folks, doesn't make a difference. When you rip it all away, the color, the ethnic background, all is the same. There's a soul that's in the middle of all of that. And that's what matters. And if we're not producing a harvest of those, and God comes and he's hungry, we say, Lord, here. I want to see God say, well done. Because you've done something with your life. So church, God will judge us by the fruit that we bear. What kind of church do we want to be? I'm not pointing fingers or telling stories tonight, but I'm telling you right now, there's folks that are in this pew because where they were before was not producing fruit. That's why they're here now. They might have been somewhere that was preaching the word. They might have been somewhere where they were receiving, you know, receiving the word, but they weren't living it. Or maybe the, they were receiving it and living it, but the preacher wasn't preaching the word. One of those three things wasn't being done. We cannot be rejected by God by looking the part of the fig tree everything on the outside being right they don't really we're not producing fruit so if there's anybody here tonight that would say to me pastor I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do an introspective look upon myself and see am I being fruitful church growth is not a one on one it's a multiplication thing nowhere in scripture was it just a one time addition, but it was a multiplication. One winning one who won one who won one who won one or two or three or four and it begins to multiply. That's church growth. So what are we doing personally and as a group to making sure that when God comes to see here and he's hungry that we are producing fruit. If that means something to you tonight, why don't you stand to your feet with me? God is good.